You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit votr.church. Good morning to everyone. It is great to worship with you. It's the best part of starting my week. I'm so thankful every time we get to come together and lift our voices as one. I, I do want to take a minute and welcome everyone on the live stream. We know every week there are many of you tuning in wherever you're at, maybe sick at home, maybe traveling, but we are grateful that you're with us. We're praying for you and have a great expectation that God will meet you wherever you are this morning. If we've never had a chance to meet before, my name is Jeff. I'm the lead pastor here at the Vineyard and want to give you a, a quick update on where we're at with our one day to feed the world offering. This is of course, an offering that we take every fall in the month of October where we encourage you to work one day for the poor, whatever you would earn in one day's wage to kind of do the math on that and donate that above and beyond your normal tithes and offerings. We compile all of those gifts together and we give a very large and generous gift to our mission partners at Convoy of Hope and so excited to report that we're sitting at about $27,000 already gathered, which is really awesome. And, uh, you know, the way that this typically has worked, I've watched it the last two or three years work this way, is that after our one-day Sunday, we start to see that number slowly climb. And so it's not too late to be involved in that. We're going to collect offerings this entire month, and then we'll give that generous offering uh, at the end of October, so it's not too late to be involved, and we would love for you to participate in everything that's happening uh, through our international missions partners at Convoy of Hope. Well, as I begin this morning, I just want to, you know, just let you know where we're headed over the course of, of the next couple of weeks. We're going to spend the next few weeks really in Scripture, really examining the life of Jesus Christ and asking ourselves and and everyone in this room, what does it mean to look like? What does it mean to, to follow God individually? But also, what does it mean to follow God collectively? You know, who am I called to be, but who are we called to be, both as individuals and as a body of Christ? And so what I want to do is I want to start this morning by reading you a few mission statements. I'm kind of an organizational leadership nerd. I, I love this kind of stuff. And so these are not our mission statements, but I want to read them to you. I don't think you'll be able to guess who wrote them. If you do, like I'll give you a prize or something. But I have a few that I want to share with you because I think this could be interesting. Here's one of them. It says, with a heart for mission, our church seeks to lead people to Christ, disciple believers, and impact our world through acts of love and compassion. That's a really solid mission statement, isn't it, right? I mean, like, they've got all the right words in their mission and disciple and impact, and no human wrote that mission statement. I downloaded ChatGPT, who is every high school and college friend right now, and I typed in there, I prompted, write me a Christian mission statement, and that's what it came out with. And then I got a little more disturbed because I, I said, you know what, ChatGPT, that's a really good statement. I love it, but um, it's just too vague. I want one specifically for our church, Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. So I added a few more prompts, and I said, give me a mission statement for Vineyard Church, Fort Collins, Colorado, 
And this is where ChatGPT, I feel like, went just a little too far. This is what it kicked out under the guidance of Jeff Faust, <laughs> which was very disturbing when I read that. Under the guidance of Jeff Faust, Vineyard Church of the Rockies is committed to creating a vibrant, Christ-centered community empowered by the love of Jesus where passionate worship, deep and authentic relationships, and compassionate outreach converge. What a buzzword. All while embracing the Holy Spirit's transformative power so that lives are changed and the kingdom of God is realized on earth. <laughs> Chat GPT. Don't clap for that. Don't clap for that. I'll lose my job. <laughs> it is a dark hole when you start to realize ChatGPT can do my job about as good as I can. It is a depressing dark hole to end up in. You're going to be really bummed when I read you our actual mission statement. This is what we want to talk about, though. We want to talk about who we feel like God has called us to be as a body of Christ. Very simply, our church's mission statement is together. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things. God, thank you. Thank you. You know, we had one or two people clap, and then you all jumped in on that, but you were ready to celebrate that chat GPT mission statement. We can meet in the lobby and talk about. No, this is our church's mission statement on staff. We've actually turned it into an acronym that doesn't make any sense at all. We've just smushed all the words together. We call it Jigumtat. Jigumtat. It's had a life of its own. Corey has put it on bracelets for the youth, and so they have bracelets that should say Jigumtat, and it's a great conversation starter. Um, but this is what it is, joining God's mission, transforming all things. Maybe you've never noticed, but that phrase is placed on the lobby wall. You pass by it every time you walk in. And every time you walk out, the problem with mission statements, particularly mission statements in churches, is that we either forget about the phrase altogether, or we don't reinvigorate it enough and keep it part of who we are. We don't you know, make decisions as a church well enough tied to that mission statement that it just becomes a phrase or a placard on a wall that we literally walk by and we never give thought to. Or on the other hand, what can happen sometimes in Christian churches is that we over-identify with the mission statement and it becomes part of our own identity as we follow Christ instead of the main thing, which is actually following Jesus. And so as we talk about our mission statement, I just don't want you to be misled at all. We are built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. This is the way we feel like he's inviting us to express that. But our foundation is Christ and Christ alone. The reason why we want to spend a little time talking about this is because these ideas, they're, they're formed from Scripture. And in a lot of ways, they're an invitation not only for us as a body of Christ on how to follow God and how to, follow, and how to um, interact with the world around us, but they're an invitation for you personally. We believe on how you can begin to follow Christ. Jigumtat is the phrase. Joining God's mission, transforming all things. This morning and over the course of the next few years, we're going to bounce around Scripture a lot because I want you to know that we've been pulling from a wide array of passages in order to kind of inform this phrase. But I want to start by looking at the first few words in this phrase. Um, we have it underlined. It's just joining God's mission. I want to start by talking about joining God's mission. And, and something that you need to know on the front end, this is going to come as a surprise for some of you, but the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't primarily about you. Now, I love you, 
And this church loves you. We care for you. We pray for you. We deeply want to see your life transformed. But the, the central piece of the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't about you. We don't invite God somehow into our story. The gospel says that we throw ourselves into his story and his plans and his purposes. And we sometimes think that we know best and our plans are the best ways, but it's his story that's more complete and more transformational and more impactful than we could ever imagine for ourselves. Of course, this idea comes directly from the Bible because this is exactly how Jesus Christ lived when he walked the earth. If you look at John 5, verses 17 and 19, this is what it says. John 5, 17, this is Jesus speaking. He says, my father is always working and so am I. My father is always working and so am I. Then in verse 19, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. And of course, there's really interesting ideas around uh, our Trinitarian God and how all of this is working together. But we have to realize on the forefront that Jesus was always working because his Father in heaven was always at work. But also, Jesus wasn't working on his own accord. Right? He was always looking to see what his Father was doing, and then he began to do that work on earth. It was always, what is God doing? How can I join him? It was always, even Jesus himself, what is God doing? How can I join him in his mission? And this has massive, massive implications for us as Christians today. Because if we say to ourselves, or if we say as a church, we want to become more like Jesus, in my discipleship and in my spiritual maturity, I want to become more like Jesus, which of course, by the way, like we're never going to do perfectly, and it's going to be three steps forward and two steps back, but hopefully at the end of our life, we're a bit more like Jesus than we are today. Even if we say that and we champion that, the reality is we have to see how this worked in the Gospels. We have to see how Jesus went about this. If we want to be more like Jesus, we have to recognize that he was working because his father was always at work, was always at work and we are doing only what we see the Father doing. The gospel doesn't say that we get to just kind of sprinkle a little bit of Christianity into our life and hope that it makes everything well. That's not the essence of Christianity. Christianity says, no, it says that we abandon our lives to his. We abandon our purposes, our plans, to Jesus, that we surrender it all to the Lord. It's not Jesus come into my life, it's Lord, I give you everything that I am. I surrender it all to you. And listen, if you've never made that decision, if you've never made the decision to surrender your life to Jesus, I mean, maybe you've been adjacent to faith, maybe you've been exploring Christianity, or maybe you've even adopted the idea that you can just like sprinkle in Christianity amongst everything else in hopes that it works out but you've never made the decision to surrender it all to Jesus, and my prayer is that you would make that decision today. My prayer is that you would make that decision today because it would be the most impactful decision that you ever make. It doesn't mean that you're going to be forced to do what I do for a living or wear robes and put a collar on and live in a monastery. I mean, I don't do that. But it does mean that you are laying your life down at the cross and you're saying, Lord, my, my will is incomplete, but your will is perfect. I follow you. I surrender my life to you. 
Every Sunday we gather towards the end of our service, we give people an opportunity to surrender their life to Christ for the first time. And I always wonder how many of us in this room today might need to make that decision. How many of us online might need to make that decision today? In addition to this passage in in John 5, there's another great uh, piece of scripture that I want to look at this morning. It's from 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians excuse me, chapter 3. And I want to read this passage because I really think it, it helps us wonder about the type of life that we're building with God. It helps us wonder about the kind of life that we're, we're building with Jesus. Is, is our life like a little bit of God that we're adding into a foundation that we've already created? Or are we throwing ourselves upon the foundation of Jesus. And before I read this, I just want to give you a little quick note. There's going to be some words that, they might be trigger words in here for you. He talks about fire, and, and he says the word judgment, but he's not talking about hell. And so I just, I don't want to lose you before I actually get a chance to explain it. That's not where we're going today. But he does talk about judgment. He's talking about this day where we die and we stand before God. In this moment where our life is rolled out like a scroll before him. And Paul writes to us this morning about that moment. 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 11. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved. See, this is how we know he's not talking about hell or judgment or anything like that. He's talking to believers. Paul is writing to a Christian church. He says the builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So this is It's a fascinating passage that I want to wrestle with just a little bit together this morning because it starts, it starts by saying, Paul's writing, there's no other foundation that will last other than Jesus Christ. That is the foundation, Jesus and Jesus alone. He's saying, I I want you to know on the front end, Paul is saying, that, that if you're building a life outside of Jesus, it's a futile life. I don't want you to be misled. I don't want you to try and build your own kingdom. Jesus Christ is the most secure and eternally blessed foundation you can ever build upon. And Paul continues to say that the good stuff that you build upon that life and the good works and the the good things that you do amongst your life upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, that stuff will last and you will receive a reward. And, And we all love the reward idea, right? We all kind of gravitate towards the reward idea. I like that kind of stuff. I want more of that kind of stuff in my eternal hope an eternal future. But the bad stuff, Paul writes, the stuff that you build for your own glory, your own purposes, or maybe even on a foundation that's not tied to Jesus and you just kind of hopefully get it close to Jesus. He says all of that stuff will be tested by fire, not fire and brimstone. That's not who I am. It's not who we are. You're tracking with me, right? It's more of like a a fire of testing and purification to disclose the type of life that you have lived this side of eternity. And it says, your life will be tested by fire and the worker will experience a sense of loss. 
Now, again, this is a fascinating passage because when we talk about heaven, most of the time we're talking about perfection and it's this blissful experience where we're just in the presence of God and there's no experience of loss in heaven because it's perfect. But here Paul says, actually, that if you build your life on a foundation other than Jesus and you go through that, that fire of purification, that you may have an experience of loss someday in eternity. Now, for me, that makes me pause a little bit. It makes me just slow down and prayerfully reflect on what I'm reading, how God's speaking to me, and what he wants me to know from this passage. I mean, I have a growing sense of humility in my heart when I read this passage. It it makes me want to, to walk with incredible intentionality so that I know that I'm building something for his glory, not my own, for his ways and and not my own ways, and on his foundation, not on something that I'm mysteriously trying to bring to the table. And my concern, right, my concern for me, but but of course my concern for our entire church, anyone who calls this church home, is is that you or I, we begin to build a life that isn't going to last. That we're going to give ourselves to building a life that that won't last for eternity. And and again, this isn't some kind of like weird fear tactic. We're talking about our mission statement. This is supposed to be, we were all laughing just a minute ago. Remember that? But listen, it's also my job to open up the word of God and and to like hold it out for all of us. Like a mirror. So that God's truth is just reflecting to us what he's inviting us to live. And, and, and And I hold it up to myself too. What kind of church are we building? What kind of life am I building? Am I building a life that will last for eternity? Am I building a life that will pass this purifying test? That's why I started with John 5, by the way. Because I think if you take this John 5 passage with my father was always working and so am I, but I only do what I see the father doing, and, and then you, you bring in 1 Corinthians 3 alongside of that, you realize that both of these things work until if you want to know how to build a life that will last, if you want to know how to build a life on the foundation of Jesus Christ, one of the most important things to do is to go to John 5 and to train yourself to see what the Father is doing and to begin to do that. Because the Lord will not lead you astray. I mean, a really important thing that we have to ask ourselves is, am I inviting God into my life and saying, God, come and bless my work and my foundation and my life, or am I throwing myself onto his foundation? Is it, God, come into my life and and sprinkle my life with a little bit of your blessing, or I abandon myself and I surrender myself to the Lord? All that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. One way to start Doing this is to train yourself with the spiritual habit and the spiritual prayer of asking this simple question, God, what are you doing right now and how can I join you? What are you doing right now and how can I join you? On Sunday morning, when you come to church, you can ask that question. When you go to your kids' sporting events, I was all over Colorado. I was all over the front range yesterday. This is a prayer that I pray. God, what are you doing in the parents that I'm going to be sitting by? And how can I join you? Next time you get together with your friends, you can ask God, what are you doing right now? How can I join you? I mean, this happened for Natalie and I just last week. We had parent-teacher conferences. And you got to go and you got to hear them, you know, kind of talk about your kids. And ours are 
very pleasant. <clears throat> we walk into this room, though, and with this, with this prayer on our mind, we just we listen to the teacher. They're sharing about how our kids can grow and what they're doing well and all these things. But we're just in the back of our minds. We're just asking God, what are you doing right now, and how can we join you? I just felt like the Lord said, I want you to encourage this teacher. And so we just, I, I just actually interrupted. I said, can we just take a moment to thank you? I just want you to know, like, it's hard to be a teacher right now. We, we realize it's hard to be a leader right now. And not only do you spend time with our children and you entrust your children to someone else, but you care for our children. You're leading our children. And, and you probably get emails from cranky people telling you how bad of a job you're doing. And I just want you to know, like, from the Faust family, we think you're doing a great job. And we want you to know that we are blessed that you're our daughter's son's teacher. And just this short little conversation, I mean, it was a short conversation, but you could just feel the, the sweetness of God's presence enter into that space. And then it opened a door for us to have a conversation about our faith. And partly because our kids are so outspoken about their faith, they were like, I, I know where this is coming from. But I'm not sure we get there unless we have trained our minds and trained our hearts and trained our hands and trained our feet to walk everywhere we go with that question always present before us. God, what are you doing right now? And how can I join you? you know, the first youth conference I ever went to, this was like probably six or seven years ago. I was like 28 years old. I mean, I, didn't, I never went to a youth conference when I was an actual youth. I had to wait till I was a pastor to get invited to go to a youth conference because I was, I was so far from God. No one ever wanted to take me to the youth conference. But I remember what the preacher said, and I think this applies to all of us in this room, no matter your age. He said, if your uh, backpack, let's just imagine a backpack and allow that to represent your life right now. What happens for a lot of Christians is they have this backpack that's their life, and they think they get to control all of it. And so they add all kinds of different things into the backpack. They're going to add relationships and work and school and, and sports. And then when they encounter Jesus, they're going to say, hey, Jesus, why don't you come into my backpack? And maybe on my best days, you'll be like at the center of my backpack. But what I'm really hoping for is that I can just add you to the rest of my life. And then maybe if you're just close enough to these other things, maybe a little bit of Jesus will rub off on everything else. And then I'll get to throw you into my backpack and away I go on my life. But the, but the pastor said that that's not actually how Christianity works. You're not inviting Jesus into your life amongst everything else that you already have there. You're leaving your backpack behind and you're jumping in his proverbial backpack. You're saying, no, 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 I, I, I'm laying my life down, and I'm jumping all in with God. Jesus is the King of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. He's not, he's not just hoping that we'll start with 1% Jesus and give it a go. He's inviting us to surrender it all to him. When you pray prayers like, God, what are you doing right now and how can I join you? You'll be amazed at what happens in your life. When you walk into church and you pray, God, what are you doing today and how can I join you? You'll be amazed at what happens, what conversations begin to take place, how he invites you begin to begin to pray. When you walk on campus or you walk into your school or you have friends over for dinner or you go to work, if you have that prayer on your mind, you'll be amazed at how God begins to speak to you. I think for all of us, when we look at this mission statement, joining God's mission, transforming all things, 
Listen, I know this is a direct question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. I think we need to ask ourselves, am I joining God's mission or am I just inviting him to join mine? This is an important question for every Christian or every person exploring the faith to ask. Am I joining his mission or am I asking God to join mine? That's the first part. We're just halfway through the statement. Let's take a look at the second half because this is where we begin to see what it might look like as we begin to follow him. The second part of our phrase is transforming all things. Transforming all things. What is God up to? He's transforming all things. Now, when we first released this statement and we first put it on the wall, we got a little bit of pushback because it said transforming all things instead of transforming lives. And I understand the cultural moment we live in that that maybe that's a, an interesting choice of words for you. But the reason why we're going with transforming all things is because in the kingdom of God and through the power of the cross, Jesus is redeeming and reconciling all things to God. He's come for it all. He died for it all. Jesus, I, mean, I mean, he's like, interested in transforming your personal life. And by the way, as a church, we are deeply dedicated to that as well. But it doesn't take you very long to just kind of look around the world and realize, you know, it's not just my heart that's broken. It's not just my life that needs transformation, but entire family systems are broken. And and, and entire systems of injustice still exist. And governments are still corrupt and they're fighting one another. Racism is still around. We need God to invade everything. We need his presence and his gospel to transform it all. Sin has tainted every area of creation, and therefore, we need transformation in all areas of life. Yes, your heart is deeply important to God, and it's deeply important to our church. But let's just take a moment and look around. There's not a single thing that doesn't need the power and presence of Jesus. We need God to come in the most powerful way. And God is transforming all things because truly everything needs transformation. Everything needs transformation. Scripture says that even all of creation groans under the weight of sin. All of creation. You know, one of my favorite passages to explore when we're talking about this kind of stuff, it's a, it's a promise about our future. It's from Revelation 21, verse 3 through 5. I just want to read it quickly for you because it, it, it's just so deeply ingrained in who we want to be as a church and how we want to partner with God, what we're looking towards in the future. Revelation 21, 3 to 5, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. I am making everything new. When you decide to follow Jesus, he begins transforming your life. But as you mature in your faith and you follow him for any length of time at all, you begin to realize pretty quickly that there's a whole bunch of lives around you that need the same transformation that you've experienced. And then you start to realize that systems need transformation and neighborhoods need transformation and schools need transformation and workplaces need transformation and churches need transformation. Of course we do. We need the Lord. Anything built on any any other foundation is, is not going to last. 
All the earth and everything in it has been impacted by sin, and therefore all the earth and everything in it needs transformation. But he, this is our promise, he is making all things new. As you reflect on your own life, it's important to ask sometimes hard but very humbling and honest questions like, is my life still being transformed? Are my relationships being transformed? Is my generosity being transformed? And it, like, am I more generous today than I was a year ago? Is my character still being transformed? Am I growing in holiness? Is integrity still a, a deep part of my life? Is fruit of the Spirit, is that growing and expanding in my life? Am I more transformed today than I was a year ago? And maybe a harder question, if you're experiencing some kind of limits or some kind of ceiling in your spiritual life, maybe a harder question is, God, is there anything in my life that's off limits to you? Is there anything in my life that I hold back? Search me and know me, O oh God. Know my ways. Correct my paths. Because if there's anything that I'm holding back, Lord, I give it to you. I want to experience the transformation of all things, and so therefore all that I am and all that I have is yours. Am I being transformed? And also, it's all things, not just my life. So is my city being transformed? How am I joining God's mission in transforming all things? How does that impact the city around me? You know, we have this really interesting shadow looming over our building. I mean that in a really positive way. I realize that could be interpreted as a negative thing. We have this, let me just redirect and just restate it. We have this beautiful building, 1213 Riverside, that you might remember was donated to our church two years ago. Do you remember this? And we began to seek out a journey of what it looks like to join God's mission of transforming all things through that space. And pray for me, because... We've been on a journey on how that building will advance the kingdom of God in our city. And sometimes I feel like I've learned more about what's not going to happen than what is going to happen. But I have great faith because every no, it just actually helps sharpen my vision. And I feel like I'm really close to being able to share some really exciting news with you, but there's just a few more little dominoes that need to fall. So pray for me and pray for favor in that space because very shortly, I think that we're going to be able to share with you what God is intending to do, and it will be a place of incredible transformation, both for individual lives, but also our entire community. And through that space and through our church, we can all be joining God's mission and transforming all things. We can be Jigam Tat type of people. In this space and in that space, I think God is inviting us to do something really special. But again, I'm just humbly, I'm asking for prayer. Because we need a few more little pieces to fall. I just, I just have one last thought, and then we're going to close and move into ministry time. And One last thing to share, because I, I know I've been guilty of this before, and I just feel like the Lord wants to remind us of one of these important biblical truths, is that sometimes when we talk about transforming all things, or we read this passage from Revelation 21, we can mistakenly believe that all of these things are only a futuristic promise that we can't actually experience much of that on earth today. That once we give our life to Jesus, it's just kind of we need to wholly huddle up and we just kind of need to grit our teeth and, and white knuckle the steering wheel of life and hope that we just, you know, finish well loving God and I don't know, hopefully do a couple of good things and then we go to heaven where everything will actually be transformed. 
But Jesus came to show us and to demonstrate us a different way of living. He said, when he came, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's breaking in right here and right now. And when his disciples asked him, how then should we pray? Jesus, Jesus responded with this famous prayer. The Our Father, which maybe some of you have memorized and maybe some of you have rejected based on your upbringing. But it goes a little bit like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. On earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. And it continues on. It's a beautiful prayer. I would encourage you to memorize it. But I don't want to just reject the prayer out of its familiarity. I, I want to focus in on this phrase. On earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is telling us that what is happening in heaven we can experience today on earth. And I want to give my life to figuring out how much of heaven we can experience this side of eternity. And I feel like God is asking our church to do the same. What would it look like to plumb the depths of the of presence of God, to experience the power of God in such a transforming way that when we come in and when we go out, we would be lights to the world of a living God? What would it look like to experience such depth of transformation in our own souls that it would be attractive to the world around us and the kingdom of God would advance, but also as we see systems and as we see broken families and as we see broken um, economies and governments, we would say we would be able to stand with Jesus and say it's not just about lives, it's about everything. He's coming to make all things new. And it's starting right here and right now. Again, how much of heaven, how much of heaven could we experience this side of eternity. It starts, of course, with a personal decision to follow Jesus, surrendering everything to him, but that is only the beginning. He also has a life of mission. He also has a life of partnership. And he also has a life of transformation ahead of you every step of the way. So let's pray for that to be a reality in our life, for that to be a reality in our church, and for that to be a reality in our city and beyond. Join me in prayer.